0: Now, all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody.
1: Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is a frequent guest on our program, John Hood. And we have John on to explain things that I can't understand. And I'm hoping that he also answers uh, the questions that a lot of listeners might have. And so that's the reason we have John on, because he usually gives us a pretty good view of... uh, of uh, what's going on and he has usually researched it pretty well and so we kind of count on you john to make complex matters simple and uh so with that introduction i've put the onus on you
2: i mean no pressure or anything but apparently i'm supposed to explain particle physics and stuff well
1: that's i, I think you could do that no one would understand what you say but that's aside from the point. uh okay And and, and, and regarding physics, I'm I'm not sure about the rest of it. We'll have to determine that after we ask you the question. Okay. The General Assembly has come out with proposed maps for redistricting, as they are required to do. And we have 14 congressional districts. And matching up and getting the right number of people in each district and uh, meeting all uh, at least some of the standards that have been established for establishing congressional districts means uh moving things around a little bit and so give us a summary of what uh apparently there are now two maps that are being considered is that correct
2: that's right there are two options that were released the other day they'll get action in a few days Uh, i personally think that there is an option that is likely the preferred one and then there's another one that they put out that is i think fair to say is more aggressive uh as far as maximizing potential Republican gains, I don't actually think that's the map that they will enact. But there are two congressional maps. Both of them do some common things. For example, they create in the triangle area, there is a 13th district, 13th congressional district that includes part of Wake County and goes sort of south and east and includes Johnston County and places like that. In both maps, they changed that district around so that it becomes much more solidly Republican. It's currently more of a swing district, and now it will be, in either version of that, it will be a likely Republican pickup. It's currently held by Democrat Wiley Nickel. Another thing that both maps do is go into Mecklenburg County, where Charlotte is, and split it into three pieces. And there would be a a center part of the city that would be a heavily Democratic district. And then two districts, one starting in the western part of that county and heading towards the mountains, and the other one starting in the eastern part of the county and heading towards Fayetteville, basically. And those districts will be Republican-leaning. So that would be Mecklenburg split into three districts. Um, And then the other thing that, that they do is they split Guilford County, which is one of our most populous counties, that's where Greensboro is, into either two or three districts, depending upon the map. But the main point about the Greensboro, Winston-Salem area is that there is currently a Democratic representative from one of those districts, Kathy Manning. And in the new maps, either one of them, it would be difficult for her to be reelected because these districts have become more Republican leaning the way they've been redrawn. So Mm -hmm. right now, the congressional map is such and remember, it was drawn by court order. So the congressional map that was used in the 2022 elections generated seven Republican members and seven Democratic members. The new maps will probably uh, increase the Republican number by three. So it would go to a 10 Republican, four Democrat delegation. Uh, The more aggressive map could in theory take it all the way to 11-3, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think it'd be more like Republicans would gain a net of three seats on these congressional maps.
1: So let's look at that nationally, because if it switches, essentially uh, taking away three House members from the Democratic side and adding three to the Republican side, what does that do on the uh, control of the United States House?
2: Well, it's a narrow Republican majority. If that were to happen and nothing else happened, and everybody was reelected to there other seats around the country then that would give the republicans a little more breathing room apparently not enough to elect a speaker given, <laughs> given the recent <laughs> shenanigans the the margin's so large for voting against the various alternatives that even an additional three republican seats wouldn't wouldn't solve the problem it looks like the other thing to keep in mind is that 2024 isn't just an election cycle in north carolina of course it's an election cycle for congress around the country and there are other moving pieces For example, in the state of New York, there is a very real possibility that those districts will be redrawn in ways that remove Republicans uh, from the US House, as many as three seats. So imagine that that happened in New York and the Democrats gained three seats and in North Carolina, the Republicans gained three seats. Well, then it's sort of a wash. And in fact, one of the things I've heard from North Carolina Republicans who when challenged about redistricting and their previous statements against gerrymandering will now say, look, whatever we might want to do, we have to worry about New York and we'd be chumps if we didn't maximize Republican gains in North Carolina, if the Democrats are going to try to maximize their gains in New York. Now, both parties are saying that I'm sure in New York, they're saying, look at those people in North Carolina and New York is a little different because they actually have an independent commission. But in previous cycles, the Independent Commission couldn't come up with something that would be acceptable to the Democrat-controlled legislature, so they drew the maps and they got thrown out. It's, co- it's more complicated than it's worth explaining. The point is there are moving parts in, in North Carolina regarding the U.S. House, and there's moving parts in New York, and of course, there could be competitive seats around the country that go all D or all R. Depending upon whether there's a wave election in 2024, and then who knows is going to be in control of Congress. So North Carolina's redistricting matters, but it is far from the only story here. The
1: Speaker of the North Carolina House has announced that he is not seeking reelection, or, or, uh, and there has been speculation that he might run for Congress if a district is formed that is uh, appealing to him. Is that in the offering here with? uh, the two uh, maps that are proposed? Yes.
2: Yes. there In fact, both maps create a differently drawn 14th congressional district that starts in the western part of Mecklenburg County, again, the second most populous county in the state where Charlotte is. And that particular district goes west. It includes Speaker Tim Moore's home county of Cleveland County. And so if he wanted to run for Congress, he certainly could. Now, keep in mind that members of Congress do not have to live in their districts. So sometimes a member of Congress will live near a district and say, well, I used to live in the district or the district's close to my house or the, mo- the lines keep moving around. And so you don't technically have to live in the district, but it's a challenge. It's a problem if you don't. Tim would, in fact, live in this new 14th congressional district. Uh, so lots of people expect that he may very well consider running for that seat in 2024.
1: Well, he, he looked at it last time and elected not to do it.
2: Well, there was some changes in the map at that.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly.
2: But uh, yeah, it's that's certainly a possibility. There will be two districts open if either map and is enacted in the Charlotte area. The other one, Dan Bishop, who is a currently sitting member of the House, U.S. House, is running for attorney general, so he's not running for re-election. So there will be a Republican seat, sort of Charlotte to the east that'll be open, and there'll be a Republican seat, Charlotte to the West, that'll be open. And speaking of which, the current 14th district, which is more of a Democratic-leading district in the Charlotte area, would go away, and its Democratic representative, Jeff Jackson, would then perhaps run for attorney general against Dan Bishop. So all of these uh, all of these pool balls are bouncing around on the table.
1: So the three congressmen that, uh, that are in office right now that appear to be uh, sort of gerrymandered out are Jeff and uh, Kathy.
2: Correct, Kathy Manning and Wiley Nickel, who's in the uh, Triangle area. Now, there's another member, Don Davis, who represents the first district in the northeastern part of the state. Um, He he would have a chance of winning his district, regardless of which of the map. The map, I think, is likely to be chosen, will retain something similar to his current district, be a little more competitive for the Republicans, but Don Davis could certainly win re-election in that district. That would be really the most competitive district in the state if that map is the one that ends up being enacted.
1: Well, it's interesting. And uh, so now, okay, these maps are out. One will be selected, and uh, then there will probably be challenges. Will there be challenges in time uh, to have a court to make them go back and redraw them again, or... Uh, when will candidates know for sure what district they're in
2: that's the that's a critical question for which I don't have a perfect answer other than to say all congressional maps in North Carolina are always challenged in court that has been true it's going to be true for the for these maps both for the Congress and for the legislature and it's going to be true in future maps um, the, the best chance the, the plaintiffs, in this case, presumably Democrats, would have to challenge the new congressional map would perhaps be to make a federal claim regarding the Voting Rights Act, some sort of argument about racial gerrymandering. I don't know that they would win that claim, but that would be the most likely claim to go anywhere. And in theory, it could go fast enough to affect the 24 cycle. I don't think it is a likely uh, successful challenge, but we'll have to just see what the what the arguments look like
1: but the primary comes so early this year it's going to be difficult uh for challenges to to make their way through court
2: right i tend to agree there may be an attempt to uh you know to stop the election process um but yes you're right because the primary is in march it comes up pretty quick and perhaps what we would end up then doing is having a cycle uh, the 2024 cycle on these maps and then maybe because of litigation there will be another redraw at some point in the future. We'll just have to see. This is how North Carolina's uh line drawing seems to go is uh, and, maps and are of gone, course, maps are challenged there's litigation back and forth back and forth.
1: And of course is also the uh, the challenge that is quite legitimate and not political in the fact that some areas are growing very rapidly and other areas are actually either losing population or staying the same. So that in itself Makes uh, redrawing the the, the uh, districts uh, something that is probably going to happen or should happen more frequently.
2: Well, you you do it every ten years. Obviously, populations change every year, but when you redraw the map, say in 2023 or 2026 or whatever it is, if it's not in a the cycle right after the census, you're actually just supposed to use the census data that's back in at the turn of the relevant decade. So even though you're right that populations have shifted in 2023 versus 2021, when the initial maps were drawn, um, you're really supposed to just be using the, the 2020 cycle material, the, the, the 2020 population totals.
1: This uh, sort of wraps up this segment of the, po- of the show. But in the next segment, we're going to talk about the U.S. House Speaker chaos and get your comments on the state of the GOP and uh, also ask you the question is compromise dead uh this is a very interesting set of uh, circumstances that we find ourselves in and i'm anxious to hear what uh, john hood's opinions and thoughts are on how this is going to end up our guest is john hood he's the president of the john william pope foundation he's been a frequent guest on our program many times and as we said we always uh, like to have john on because he always has uh, research these areas deeply and has some very interesting thoughts to share with us and we'll do all of this when we take time out for these messages
3: the impact of a meal goes well beyond feeding our bodies because when people don't have to worry about where their next meal is coming from they can truly thrive like marta and now we'll hear from our class valedictorian who with our hard work never ceases to amaze us please welcome marta moreno And Alex.
0: Hey Alex, how did the interview go?
3: I did it! I got the job! I can't
0: believe it! I knew it! Let's meet up later to celebrate.
3: And Diego.
0: Mom. I got first place at the science fair with my volcano project. That's
3: amazing, sweetie. Congratulations. Because when people are fed, futures are nourished, and everyone deserves to live a full life. Join the movement to end hunger at feedingamerica.org/actnow. feedingamerica.org/actnow. A public service announcement brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council.
1: The galaxy is safe once
2: again. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council.
0: We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis
1: the president of the john william pope foundation john hood is our guest uh he has uh, been with us a number of times and uh, of course he uh, also has served as chair of the board of the john locke foundation and uh, uh john uh, hood helped found the Locke foundation in 1989 i started to say 1789 but he's not quite that old and he served as its president from 1995 to 2014. he's also written a number of uh, uh interesting books and we'll talk about those also some uh fact and some fiction and even those are in fact sometimes just some fiction in that but we'll talk it has
2: been so alleged yeah it's been
1: so alleged uh uh and usually he has a word of the day for us because his vocabulary is as wide as uh well i don't know how wide it is but it's wide but uh, let's talk about the u.s house speaker chaos we've never seen anything like this before um but it also begs the question: uh, What is the state of the of the Republican Party? Because they can't—they're uh, the majority party, but they can't seem to get their act together on electing a speaker.
2: It's a it's a real mess. The Republican Party, as I've seen many people observe in the context of the speaker fight, is really m- multiple parties. They're, they're using the same label; they're running under the same banner of Republican Party but they're quite different. Uh, There's the pre-Trump Republican Party. I don't think it's fair to call it the establishment at this point, but it's certainly uh, a party that would be more familiar to people who've been watching politics for a long time uh, that tended to have uh, presidential candidates, presidents, leaders in Congress who were fairly conservative on economic questions in particular. Usually on social matters and 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 usually uh, hawkish, uh, wanting America to play a role in the world and to advance American interests uh, rather uh, in a rather vibrant way. Trump comes along and he changes this calculation. He actually moves the party somewhat to the left on economics, particularly on trade and uh, government involvement in the economy. Interestingly, he doesn't really move the party right on culture. People kind of forget this, but. Trump was has been the least interested as a Republican leader in things like LGBTQ questions, things like this. It's not part of his his uh, makeup. And in fact, recently he criticized pro-lifers for being too aggressive on abortion bans and abortion limitations in various state legislatures. Uh, what he also did is, from my perspective, sort of move the party a bit left on foreign policy. So what you've got here is a... a what we might say is a populist party that's associated with Trump and other kinds of politicians like Trump, uh, like Jim Jordan, for example, who was, who was attempting to be the Speaker of the House, but is, as we are talking, has been unable to do so. I, I yeah. failed to
1: mention the fact that we're pre-recording this program and we're assuming a speaker hasn't been chosen.
2: Yeah, it seems seems right now impossible to, do, to, to get a speaker chosen anytime soon, but By the time people hear this, maybe we will have uh, been outstripped by events. So you have those two parties that are contesting each other in Congress. One shouldn't assume that you've got a whole bunch of people in one category and a small number of people in the other. There's quite a bit of Republicans who are in both of those categories or kind of straddling the two. Then you have another Republican party, which is really more at the state and local level, places like North Carolina, like Iowa, like Florida, like Texas, like um, New Hampshire, even where Republican governors, Republican legislatures, Republican county leaders, city leaders uh, are doing their own thing and often very successfully. And they're kind of puzzled that the Washington party is in such a shambles. So, because you have all these different moving parts, uh, it's difficult to figure out exactly how a very narrow Republican margin in the U.S. House translates into a stable coalitional government. The most recent notion that was floated but then apparently didn't take off was North Carolina's own Patrick McHenry from the 10th Congressional District is currently acting as Speaker Pro Tem because Kevin McCarthy of California was overthrown. Uh, the, The suggestion was maybe Patrick McHenry should be given additional temporary authority as Speaker Pro Tem to move certain bills and kind of get the house back to doing business that didn't fly either. Apparently Jim Jordan's people who's still, still hoping he can be elected speaker, uh, kind of put the kibosh on that. So now nobody really knows what's going to happen, but I would not count out at all the possibility that in the end, Patrick McHenry from North Carolina plays some broader role in managing this unruly house, at least temporarily, because there are some time sensitive matters that house, that the house needs to tend to some questions of Military assistance for Israel and for Ukraine, the budget problems that might lead to another fiscal crisis, another potential showdown in a few weeks, and other matters that people care about. So I I think that the long term solution here is either for the Republicans to win a much larger majority in 2024 and be able to handle their backbenchers and and, and ankle biters more effectively instead of having their, their rule be constantly in peril or alternatively build some sort of a coalition, frankly, with some of the Democrats. We've seen this happen in the legislature in North Carolina and other places uh, over the course of time, where they give the Democrats a few subcommittee chairs or some promises to move certain legislation to the floor in exchange for having the Democrats vote with most of the Republicans for a Republican speaker. I frankly think the Democrats should have done this with Kevin McCarthy. I know they kind of wanted to watched and watched the Republicans fall apart. But as an institutional matter, it was a bad idea to weaken the speaker the way that this happened with the Democrats voting with those eight Republicans to overthrow Kevin McCarthy. That's what actually happened. It was a bipartisan coalition. All the Democrats and a few Republicans threw Kevin McCarthy out. Uh, I know the Democrats thought that was in their interest, but I'm really not sure it was because it just empowered these these folks that just want to throw They just want to throw grenades. They don't want to do any legislative business. So I'm not sure what's going to happen, but it would not absolutely shock me if at least until the 2024 election, when things could be more clearly resolved, if there isn't some sort of agreement between much or most of the Republicans and much or most of the Democrats (laughs) to have some sort of stable uh, leadership so they can proceed with legislation.
1: Second question, is compromise dead?
2: It's really not. In fact, McCarthy had, until recently, had several impressive deals that he made with the Democratic Senate and the Democratic White House. Obviously, we see at the state level, in North Carolina, the Republicans have a supermajority in the legislature. And so they've been overcoming the governor, Governor Roy Cooper, the Democrat, overcoming his vetoes pretty easily. But one of the reasons is they have a number of Democrats who voted for some of their bills either because the Democrats like the particular legislation in question or in the case of the budget, the Democrats negotiated and got some things in the budget that they liked. So in North Carolina, in many other states, there really is active cooperation. Uh, there are some fights, there are fights in North Carolina, the fights in Pennsylvania, places like that, fights in Arizona. But there's also compromises, negotiations, conciliation, um, whether that will occur again in the U.S. House remains to be seen. But I think that the the talk that compromise is completely dead. And politicians can't work together. I think that has been overblown, and it is not helpful to embrace that overblown suggestion, because it, if people think compromise is dead, then it makes compromise less likely.
1: Is there a future for the no labels party uh, movement?
2: So No Labels is currently talking about running a a presidential ticket. They claim that they won't do it, just to be a spoiler, but they actually think there is a possibility that enough Americans are disenchanted with the prospect of President Biden or President Trump that they would vote for somebody else. They're right, according to the polls. If people follow through on what they said, there will be a substantial appetite for something different. Here in North Carolina, there was a poll. Where instead of asking people, would you vote for Trump or Biden, which I mean, you should do that. You should figure out how people are, what the sentiment is. They actually asked people, who do you want to be president? And one of the options was Donald Trump. And another option was some other Republican. And a third option was Joe Biden. And a fourth option was some other Democrat. And if you added the some other Republican and the some other Democrat, and the people who were unsure, that was a majority of North Carolina voters. So only a minority wanted either Trump or Biden. So that's that's the logic behind the no labels party. Here's the problem. though. When you say no labels, okay, well, that might be appealing to people who are annoyed by all the partisan polarization and kind of nonsense talk that, that pretends to be political rhetoric these days. But then when you ask some more questions like, okay, well, you don't have a label, but what do you stand for? Well, we're for no labels. Well, I, I know that what's your actual plan? What what would you do about the budget deficit? What would you do about Ukraine and Israel? What would you do about immigration? What would you do about, fill in the blank, some other issue? And if their answer is, well, I don't know, but we're not going to be have a label. I, I'm just not sure that's going to sell. So I think that no labels, if it's a serious effort to create something different and elect For example, a Democrat and Republican tick sort of co-ticket, which I assume is what they're talking about, they'd have to really get into at least some details. And I'm not saying they couldn't do it. I just haven't seen any evidence that that's really the direction they're going yet, which means it does become more of a spoiler role. Speaking of spoilers, the, the most recent polling that I saw suggested that if Robert Kennedy, the Democrat who's now claiming that he's going to run an independent, candidacy for president if he's in the in race he will disproportionately pull from donald trump and therefore help joe biden become reelected, which would be one of the more ironic outcomes from this very strange situation why,
1: why is that what, what would be the appeal to the people supporting robert f
2: well <clears throat> there are a number of voters they're in both parties but they're disproportionately republican who indulge various conspiracies about vaccines and about uh, international events that Robert Kennedy at least pretends to believe in, and so they might be attracted to him as a result. Uh, there may be some other reasons. So those are the main ones. This is basically vaccine and other conspiracy theories, uh, which he champions. So that that's the possible. Uh, explanation for why he would disproportionately pull from Trump. It just goes to show you that when you think too much, and I admit that my past life maybe I did this in strictly ideological terms. Republicans are the play are the party for where conservatives are, and Democrats the party where the progressives are. And there are people in the center and center right and center left, and they're so it up for grabs. And you can think about politics in that kind of uh, X. Ex- access way where there's a there's a you know imagine a line and on the right hand side is the republican and left hand side is the democrat in reality politics isn't like that most americans are not that ideological uh they they have a mixture of views that their people have you know fairly strong economic views that are conservative but then their social views are more moderate and they're people whose economic views are much more pro-government more moderate to liberal But then they're socially conservative and there's all sorts of other kinds of permutations about foreign policy and health care and all sorts of other things. And so when you when you accept the fact that Americans aren't nearly as ideological or at least as ideologically consistent as a lot of the pundits would suggest, then you start to understand why someone could be appealing uh, to voters who, let's say, in 2012 voted for Obama in 2016 voted for Trump, and in 2020 voted for Biden, and in 2024 might vote for Robert Kennedy. I mean, who knows?
1: Interesting. Well, um, okay. Uh, we've got another session with John Hood coming up. I, uh, we're going to take time out for some messages, and we'll be back, back on Carolina Baker so you stay tuned.
3: They are our cuddlers and coworkers. Per machines and love bugs and constant companions they are our pets our family and they make life so much better when we face unexpected challenges in life so do our pets that's why we're on a mission to support people who love their pets and the pets who love their people ensuring these families stay exactly where they belong together and you have something to offer with an open heart and mind there is nothing you can't do There's no gesture too small or too big when it comes to helping. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. You can help keep pets and people together. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad
0: Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? (gasps) Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. John Hood, a frequent guest on our program, is our guest this week. John, of course, is the author of nine books, and some of which are... uh, I want to say hysterical fantasy, but it's historical fantasy novels. Uh, You've written uh, Forest Folk and Mountain Folk. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the concept of a historical fantasy novel.
2: Well, in the case of mine, which are set in early America, uh, Mountain Folk is set primarily during the French and Indian War and the Revolutionary War period. Forest Folk is set in the early 1800s, so it includes the War of 1812, the Trail of Tears, a variety of other events in early American history. So imagine, let's say, the Battle of Yorktown, 1781, and there's George Washington and his army and the French army, and they're camped around, and they're besieging the city of York, and Cornwallis is there, and it's all historically accurate, and the British know the only way they can escape Yorktown, the only way they can escape disaster is to break the French blockade, which is all true, all history. Except the British plan to break, to break the blockade involves a sea monster. That's okay. historical fantasy. Okay. So in my particular case, I don't actually change the events of history. I just provide some alternative fun explanations for what may be happening. So I have historical characters like Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett and Sojourner Truth and Ichabod Crane. who's a real person, by the way. And then uh, I have some fantasy characters as well dwarves and elves and monsters of various kinds.
1: And you've also written some serious books, including a great book on Jim Martin and the rise of the North Carolina Republicans and our best foot forward and investment plan for North Carolina's economic. You've written a number of books and of course you can go online and find Now, just
2: because there's a sea monster in mountain folk doesn't mean it isn't a serious book. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty exciting stuff.
1: Okay. So you say, uh, right. We will we'll let that one fly.
2: Uh, let's well, talk swims about, really, but okay
1: okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, artificial intelligence. I'm really worried about this because I don't think we've uh, are tackling this problem nearly as quickly as we need to because with artificial intelligence, the reporting of news and uh, the impact it might have on elections is mind-boggling to me.
2: Well, um this is why you are the host and I am just your deuteragonist. Hmm. Because I'm I didn't just know you were my what? deuteragonist.
1: Okay, so what now what is a deuteragonist?
2: A, a deuteragonist is the person who is second in importance in a story. So the protagonist, you're the okay. protagonist of this okay. show. Okay, right? okay you're that's, the hero and I'm just the sidekick.
1: Okay, that makes oh. sense.
2: And you're you have brought up a really important issue and I've been thinking about it too. Uh, I just learned, for example, yesterday, I, I still write my syndicated newspaper column. I have about 40, 45 papers that run my column. And several of the papers are associated with a locally owned newspaper company. And they were just they just published an interview about how they are using artificial intelligence. So just to give you a specific so people can kind of sink their teeth into this, um, this is a, a sp- Again, a locally owned newspaper company is trying to provide good quality local journalism, but the revenue model is weaker than it used to be. So how do you do this? Well, they've got reporters out there covering cities and counties and local businesses and things like that. The reporters are out there reporting. They're interviewing people. They're taking notes. They write up the notes and the quotes. Then they feed it into an artificial intelligence program that generates a news story. Now, they take a look at it. They make good, you know, obviously the AI is not even remotely perfect. So they generate a news story based on the notes. They look it over. Then they send that to the editor who uses AI again to uh, come up with four or five different options for headlines and social media uh, uh, headers. And then, again, people choose from among these AI-generated outcomes. So you've got AI-assisted news coverage and ai assisted editing and headlining and things like that, human beings are still in charge, but you're saving a lot of time. Now, in my opinion, and I was a newspaper reporter when I was a young person, and I, I didn't just report, I'd have to go back to the office and write up the story and all that. This particular use of AI strikes me as is innovative and useful, and it saves time, and it allows these news outlets to actually produce local journalism that people can read and use. Because, you know, we're not asking the computer in this case to write a poem or write a great novel. It's just, here's what happened at the city council last night and they voted on this contract. Um, it's pretty brass tacks stuff. The most important thing that human beings are doing here is reporting the information, not necessarily writing it up as a news story. So when I read that, I was thinking, you know, that doesn't trouble me very much. I can see how that would be useful. But it doesn't take long for you to think about, OK, so. This all relies on trust. The, the reporters actually got the information and fed it in. And and so the all the AI is doing is generating content that people can read, but they're not making things up. It's based on facts that the reporters have gone out and reported. Well, who's to say that other people are going to do that that way? They could feed whatever they want to to AI. We are already seeing <coughs> not just text generated by AI that just sort of... Um, swamps the social media feeds just all of just a avalanche of nonsense okay to mix my metaphors but then we're also seeing the deep fake problem uh ai is being good not just at text but at drawing things at creating images you can instruct ai tools to make certain things look like they're real even though they're not right now that seems like it's impossible to fool people and they can figure out if it's deep fake but i think we're on the cusp of it being very difficult to fake something uh, in a way that people can tell. In other words, they might be able to fake something and get away with it. So that part of AI on news, on politics, uh, strikes me as extremely dangerous. Uh, I'm not sure that you can use government regulation to prohibit it because there's just too many other useful applications of AI. And after all, you really can't control this at this point anyway. But I do think it's critically important for our federal, state officials to be on top of this, to be prepared to rebut nonsense because the nonsense is there was not. There's always nonsense, Don. I mean, we just saw the other day, Hamas claimed that Israel had bombed a hospital and killed 500 people in Gaza. It was a bald-faced, disgusting lie by a bunch of barbarians. Okay, and the news media ran with it for a while. So you don't have to have AI to generate propaganda and fake news and manipulate people because I mean, that was dangerous. That could have led to people being killed in riots, that lie being 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 transmitted. But at least there were human beings involved. They figured out, you know, before too long that the information was faulty. The Israelis presented real evidence that it was actually Islamic Jihad shooting a rocket and the rocket falling short they, that that destroyed the parking lot of the hospital, but not really the hospital. So th- so there was a correction to that. So it's already a problem pre-AI. But AI is going to make this harder and harder to stamp out. So I'm concerned about it. I do not think that you can pass some bill and make this go away. It is a reality. And there are many applications in healthcare, and customer service and even what I was talking about, local journalism, where AI will be a net positive.
1: Well, the thing that bothers me is the duplication of voices. For example, they can duplicate, uh, they could duplicate your voice and my voice, and they could have an interview program just as we're doing that sounds like Don Curtis is talking to John Hood. That worries me a great deal because how in the world can people discern that difference?
2: I I think you're absolutely right. Of course, that means that the channel that you're consuming something on, uh, that the credibility of that channel is going to be important. So someone sends you a link and say, "Watch this." You can't. You'll never believe what Hood said. Of course, that's true. No one ever believes what I say. But someone could send that link, and if it's not to a reputable platform, then people are going to pretty quickly learn to discount it. Yeah, that's fake. And so it's okay. going to be it's going to be incumbent upon in platforms, you know, social media platforms and websites and media outlets, radio, TV, etc. It's gonna be incumbent upon platforms to be able to detect deep fakes and then for people to trust the platforms.
1: John, let's uh change the subject and uh for the rest of this segment and talk a little bit about the federal deficit and the national debt, high interest rates and the effect on the budget uh, to too high interest rates, because all of a sudden, when money is borrowed by the federal government, they're gonna be paying higher interest rates. So that's gonna compound trying to bring the budget. To a, uh, a break-even or a, or a uh, uh, any kind of a, any kind of stability to the budget. So where are we going with the federal deficit and the national debt?
2: Nowhere good. Nowhere good because this is the kind of thing that people always claim they care about, and I see no evidence that either party really cares very much about the deficits. We we are running or just ran, I think I'm right about this about a two trillion dollar federal budget deficit in a year in which there was not a war. We're not at war. We're not in recession. There was no natural disaster. There was no COVID disaster uh, this year. And we ran a gigantic deficit. In other words, there's no excuse for it. And nobody cares about it. Both parties
1: seem to be happy with this.
2: Well, I mean, they're not not happy with the deficit, but they're they're not.
1: Planning to do yeah, I, I
2: don't think it's fair to say they genuinely don't care, I guess. What I would say is they don't care enough because they simply want to complain that the other side is responsible. Yep. And the truth is that at this point, the deficits are so large and they're going to be so persistent that everybody's responsible. Uh, it is not the case, for example, some progressives argue, well, this is just because our taxes are too low. Uh, We could raise taxes some. We probably will end up raising taxes or at least increasing revenue. For example, the idea of trying to collect more taxes that are owed, that sort of thing. There's going to be some way to try to raise the federal tax revenue higher. But federal tax revenues as a share of GDP are about as high as they have ever been. They're way higher than average. The real story is that spending is even more out of whack with historical averages. And we're heading towards, I think I write in this, uh by about the middle part of the century, federal spending is going to be close to 30% of GDP. There is zero chance, zero chance that we can have tax revenues at 30% of GDP. It's hard enough to get it much above 20% of GDP. So you can't solve the problem with taxes. You could you could chip away at it, you could reduce it a little bit. But I mean, if you if you raise taxes to ruinous levels against rich people, and of course they just evade them anyway. But if you tried to raise taxes enough to close the deficits, it would it would just be impossible, and it would destroy economic enterprise in America. It's not going to happen. However, the conservatives are also blowing smoke when they claim that you know it's just about waste, fraud, and abuse. I'm against waste, fraud, and abuse. I think we got to do something about it. But this is driven primarily by spending on Social Security. Medicare, Medicaid and other entitlement programs. That's, the, that's most of where the money is going today. It will become even greater if you add interest payments because interest rates are higher. That dominates the federal budget. You can't balance the budget unless you do something about these entitlements. What are you gonna do about it? I mean, again, raising revenue will not be sufficient. I think it's obvious that you're going to have to reduce benefits for people, at least people who are higher income people. And they're not going to like it. But what's the alternative? You're going to reduce the benefits for poor people? No, you're not. So this is where we are. If we had worked on this seriously 20 years ago, it would be a lot easier. And I argue I wrote one of my books was about this very problem. Published 20 more than 20 years ago. If we had taken action then on entitlements, on Social Security and Medicare, et cetera, it would have been painful, but not nearly as painful as it is going to be now. So. When you're worried about inflation, which everybody is, you should understand the primary story here is the federal government refusing to balance the budget and printing too much money. Which John is, what, Hood those is two are on,
1: John Hood is our guest. John uh, Hood is our guest on Carolina NewsMakers. We have one final segment, and we're going to turn to the Ukraine situation and the situation in the Middle East involving Israel. We'll do that when we return, right after we take time out for these messages.
3: When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips that you plan in advance, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends for which you make a group chat three months before so that nobody or anything is missing? Or your daughter's first birthday party. You planned it with such dedication that instead of the first, it felt like our kinses. The same way you plan each detail for those moments. Start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts, prepare an emergency kit, and make a family communications plan. Protecting your family is the best plan you can make. Get started at ready.gov plan.
0: Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app?
3: Stop. That dog does not want to be petted.
0: (laughs) A heads up before something bad happens.
3: You should not send that text.
0: Uh Uh-oh. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can reverse prediabetes and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers.
1: John Hood is our guest, and we've talked about all sorts of interesting things, including the redistricting that has been proposed on the state congressional districts. We've talked about uh, uh, the uh, well, we've talked about a number of things, including artificial intelligence and other things. And so, if you're just now joining us, you might want to hear repeated this broadcast and we'll tell you how to do that later on in this segment but right now we want to turn to uh, uh, two very interesting situations in which there are a lot of different thoughts going on right now first of all the situation involving israel and also how the uh, current views are in the country regarding additional support for the ukraine russian war and it is a war because for what people might say so, John, let's start with the situation in the Middle East involving Israel. It's very hard to explain because a lot of it just doesn't make a lot of sense.
2: Well, I suppose. I mean, you would think that by now people who live in the West Bank, Palestinians who live in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, would recognize that the only way to live in those communities is in peace with Israel, uh, in with decent governments in these places that provide basic public services that allow economic freedom to blossom instead of these just be you know perpetual refugee camps unfortunately not enough palestinians either believe that or are in a position to do anything about it because the west bank is dominated by people who don't leaders who have no authority and no no legitimate authority and no real interest in peace and developing their their community. And Gaza is controlled by terrorists, by actual barbarians who like to kill children and rape women. That's what Hamas is, it's a bunch of thugs. So Israel at this point, in my view, has no choice but to uproot and destroy Hamas, which will be a difficult thing to do. It will be costly in lives and money. Uh, The Gazans uh, are for the most part, not part of the story, but unfortunately the the Hamas uses them as human shields. I wish there was a way to move the large amount of the population out of Gaza into Egypt or some other country. Their argument is, well, if you do that, we'll never come back. My answer is I'm not sure you can. I mean, this has gone on so long. There's never been any serious movement to do anything to solve the problem on the Palestinian side. So I think the only answer is to destroy Hamas. If that means that the population has to move out and a smaller population at some point moves back in, I guess that's the only answer at this point. I mean, the the various Muslim country, Muslim-led countries that purport to champion the Palestinian cause, are they willing to take the Palestinians in and give them places to live? Apparently not, because they like to use them as props. So this notion that you're gonna have people stay in these what amounts to just refugee camps, for generation after generation. It's just not a practical plan. And they're not going to throw Israel into the sea. It's not going to happen, despite the terrorists' pretensions. So it's very difficult. It is very sad. Israel has no choice but to utterly destroy Hamas. Anybody who claims to be associated with Hamas should be targeted. For years to come, if they, they claim to be associated with Hamas, the Israelis should try to figure out a way to assassinate them. There just isn't any alternative. If you if you watch the news coverage out of what happened and you can't draw that conclusion, I think you are un, unable to engage in moral reasoning.
1: So uh, how, in your opinion, is uh, President Biden hand, handling this?
2: And I think he's answered be- pretty well. I mean, he... And unlike in the Ukraine case, where I think he has dithered and taken way too long to move the, the armaments that the Ukrainians need, uh, the president has never given a speech articulating the case for American involvement in the Ukrainian war. I wish he had; he still should. But he has done that for Israel. Just days after the attacks, he he did a very good job of explaining why America's position is what it is and why Israel must be assisted to defeat Hamas, destroy Hamas. So I think he's done a pretty good job with Israel.
1: So how is the court of public opinion with other nations regarding what our stance is and what Israel's stance is and uh, how do they consider this as far as a uh, uh, how it involves them and what the, the outcome is going to be?
2: The, the propaganda resources available to our enemies, and they are our enemies, Russia. China, Iran, and their allies. Uh, Their propaganda resources are significant, and they've been investing in them for years. There are people all through Africa, Latin America, Southeast Asia, who believe unmitigated lies and nonsense about America, about Israel, about Ukraine. Uh, In the short run, there's not a whole lot to be done about this. You just got to do the right thing and basically let victory and good governance in the long run be your message. But in the long run, we've also got to re-engage in the war of ideas, uh, broadcasting the truth to these places, calling out these, these leaders and their, their countries for lying about the United States, lying about our allies. Uh, so in the short run, Don, Israel knows that as they destroy Hamas, they will be attacked constantly, rhetorically, and possibly worse. But that they will be called the villains. They know this. They're going to do it anyway, and they have to do it. But in the long run, we should take this much more seriously. Uh, America is engaged. We, we shouldn't be the world's policemen, We'd be all over the world. I'm not in favor of that. America is engaged in a struggle with bad actors who want to change the way uh, the, the uh, laws of war, the laws of trade, that they want to control uh, the flow of people and goods and ideas in ways that we do not. And uh, we need to call them out on. We need, to, we, be, we need to be the arsenal of freedom and order, which we have been in the past. We are serving right now in that capacity in the Middle East and in Ukraine. And we need to explain why why that is in our interest, because it is. America is better off in a world that is peaceful, populated by countries that respect each other's sovereignty and borders and let people travel and let people trade without impediment. America's better off in that world. Uh, we don't need to go out and impose our particular system of government all around the world. That's not in our interest and not worth it, it's not going to work, but we have interests and we need to express express them, we need to articulate them, we need to work with our allies. Um, one could have all sorts of thoughts about military actions that the United States took after 9-11. I happen to think the Afghanistan war was correct, necessary, and we should never have left, for example. But whatever you think about American intervention, certainly that's different from America providing moral support, rhetorical support, and yes, military support, arms and aid to those who are allied with us, who share our interests and values, and are fighting against the bad guys.
1: How is this going to affect the uh, presidential election? Uh, it would appear that right now, uh, to me, and I'm sort of a non-political observer, that uh, Biden is, is winning some support uh, with his position on Israel.
2: Well, that's not what the polls suggest. And I think that's simply because we are so polarized now that uh Biden, is simply, he's an unpopular president. Trump was also an unpopular president. And it's hard to convince people. Once they've soured on somebody, it's hard to say, well, I should give them a second thought. Now, maybe that will happen for Biden on Israel. I don't know. But I think that he has been poorly served by his own statements, his own actions in the past. I think the withdrawal from Afghanistan was the beginning of the slide of public support for him. I don't see how he gets it back entirely because that was such an unforced, colossal error. Just unbelievably bad policy. Now, it happened to also be the Trump policy, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why this is a little more complicated than it might first appear. Um, but I think that if Biden and Trump are the nominees, obviously one of them will win. I don't think a no labels ticket <laughs> is likely to defeat them. One of them will win, and most of the country will be disappointed because they want somebody else. They don't want to choose, have to choose between these two individuals. And I'll say that again, having issued some praise for Biden uh, in his handling of Israel. And, you know, he's more or less been directionally right on Ukraine. It's just, he's just taken too long and moved too slowly and not explained our uh, America's interests there. That's the job of a president is to persuade. It is to rally people around the policy. He just hasn't done it on Ukraine. He did do it on Israel.
1: In the chaos in the U.S. House Speaker chaos matter, uh, will will the Republicans and the Democrats together continue to support the Ukrainian involvement?
2: I think so. Uh, there are Republicans that the more populist Republicans that, for a variety of reasons, have soured on it or never supported it. Some of it, unfortunately, is just all tied back to Trump, 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 Trump. It's just... Well, he, the Ukrainians were involved in that impeachment or whatever. I mean, it just has nothing to do with reality, but that's just where it is. Now, some of it is a genuine belief that Americans' interests don't really coincide with Ukraine's. That's mis- I think they're mistaken, but at least there are people who genuinely believe that. But a lot of it is just straight political. Ha- that having been said, there are plenty of Republicans who say things like, well, I'm not in favor of a black check for Ukraine. Who is? Or... I got to ask some real questions, but when it comes right down to it, I think they will support uh, U.S. military assistance to Ukraine uh, because they're not fools. And they know that American interests will be severely harmed if Russia succeeds in conquering all or most of Ukraine and is then able to threaten the Baltic states, other places that are already NATO members. This is extremely dangerous. We should nip that in the bud. I think people understand that there are a few wackos out there who do not. But I think most of the Democrats and Republicans in Congress understand that. And I think when it comes right down to it, they'll vote the right way.
1: You've got about 30 seconds to tell me when the uh, redistricting will be finalized on the state level, which we discussed, by the way, in the very first segment of our program.
2: Well, the the maps will be in place by the end of October. Uh, There will be candidate filing. Uh, in december i believe it is uh, i assume there will be a legal challenge i don't know that there will be time as you alluded to at least before the primary uh, there have been cases where the primaries have been delayed because of lit- litigation I, I somehow doubt that's going to happen here but i'm not sure i think we're going to have at least one cycle with these new maps and they're, they're congressional and legislative maps are new
1: john hood has been our guest he uh, is always his uh... Uh, being able to explain things uh, far deeper than my simple mind can do so, and we appreciate that. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast uh, and listen to the segments that you may have missed by joining the program late, uh, then you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear all of those segments. Or if you'd like to share the entire broadcast with a friend, you can do that as well. Uh, Jason Kong has produced our program. He promises me faithfully that he will have another interesting guest next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. It's been a pleasure to be with you, and we'll look forward to being with you again next week. Till next week, have a good week, everybody.
0: Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com.